With the U.S. primary elections in full swing and many interesting candidates to be aware of, the United States has become a point of interest for many. Being a key player in many organizations and conflicts around the world, the results of the presidential election could significantly shake up the international stage regarding how the United States' affiliations and actions may shift. With eyes turned to observe the success of different candidates, this brings us to the questions of how did we get here and where we may be heading next. From Seton Hall University, this is The Global Current. I'm your host, Trisha Ballion. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the domestic situation is our analyst, Billy Augustine. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and focusing on the international aspect today is Jimmy Murray. Hey, Jimmy. Hi, Trisha. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So before we dive too deep into the discussion, I'm going to turn to you, Billy, first and just kind of get some background information on what we're going to be looking at. So could you outline who the main candidates are in the election right now and who we're going to be focusing on mostly during this episode? Sure. So for the Republican Party, our main players are mostly Donald Trump, hot off the heels of his uh, multiple felonies, as well as Nikki Haley, former South Carolina governor. And in the Democratic Party, Joe Biden, the incumbent president, and Dean Phillips, congressman of Minnesota. Uh, and then we'll look at some independent candidates as well. So Robert Kennedy, Cornell West, and Jill Stein, who's pretty affiliated with the Green Party. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. No, we saw her um, not too long ago in one of the previous elections as mm-hmm. well. So what can we expect voters to find important in choosing how they're going to be casting their votes um, this election cycle? Voters are primarily interested in domestic issues over foreign ones. Primarily, the economy is of the utmost concern to a lot of American voters. And there's been some talk over Biden's handling of the situation abroad in Palestine and Israel. So that's something that will definitely be in consideration, especially in terms of uh, foreign policy moving forward in the election. Gotcha. And so now I want to turn to you, Jimmy, just to kind of round out our background information and just ask, what are some areas of uncertainty regarding these candidates and foreign issues? Like what, what might we be seeing some contentions? <clears throat> sure. So I think the biggest uncertainty right now is how Netanyahu's uh, administration is going to look at the upcoming U.S. election, wh- who they prefer to be in the White House. So I think in the past, Trump's administration was especially friendly mm-hmm. with Israel. Trump claimed in the past that he was the most pro-Israel American president ever. Um, Netanyahu, he was especially pro-Trump, whereas right now, it's interesting actually, Trump's made comments in the past, like recently about how Netanyahu, his intelligence was caught lacking basically on October 7th during the Hamas attack. He criticizes him too, especially after he openly and pretty quickly congratulated Biden after his presidential win in 2020. It's interesting too to see like how it'll unfold with Biden because Netanyahu and Biden haven't been seeing eye to eye recently in their talks. Biden has called uh, Netanyahu an extreme right leader in 2019. There has reportedly been a big communication gap between the two. The administration has said that there's been a four-week communication gap. Additionally, Netanyahu's repeatedly rebuffed Biden's call for Palestinian sovereignty, gumming up what the United States believes to be the key to unlocking a durable peace in the Middle East and the often elusive uh, two-state solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely some contention there as far as you know, the U.S. being a prime ally of Israel, but obviously the two leaders haven't been seeing very eye-to-eye lately. And that offers actually a, a pretty good transition into our uh, first topic I want to look at. It's just kind of looking at Biden on a whole. Um, so I'm going to turn to you, Billy, and ask about what Biden's stance is on foreign policy right now. Yeah, certainly. 
So Biden, as part of one of his main platforms, believes in global democracy. So, you know, we can expect a pretty international approach uh, to his kind of governance. He believes in the North American Trade Organization. He's been quoted saying that when America gives its word, it's something. When we make a commitment, we keep it. And that's kind of contrasted with Donald Trump's platform in regards to where he stands in with the international organizations in general. Biden's firmly allied with the UN as well, something to keep in mind. He's focused on human rights and, as I mentioned, global democracy, but he's been pretty severely criticized for the actual results of his foreign policy and not doing too much in terms of global democracies, human rights violations, and an inability to maintain a strong American influence in the world. I think that's something that's definitely manifested sort of in the uh, Israeli-Palestine conflict and probably what a lot of people are looking at moving forward into this election. In comparison with Trump, again, Trump's critical of his focus on those international coalitions. As for like specific countries, mm -hmm. uh, for example, towards North Korea, he's pretty firm on his stance on defending South Korea should North Korea begin to be violent towards them. As for China, there's been calls for actions because of Taiwan's recent elections. And Biden really emphasizes the importance of maintaining peace with China as it has its eyes set on reclaiming former territories. Biden representatives have advised the Biden administration to sort of shrink ties with China as a trade war is slowly kind of emerging with the battle of both technology and natural resources that are needed to create newer and greener technology. Um, Biden's uh, said that one of the biggest threats to America is climate change. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting thing to consider. And just the, a sort of model that he's been applying with China is the idea of invest, align, and compete. And they're trying to invest some focus just on the Indo-Pacific region. But thus far, it's been sort of ineffectual in the economic realm with minimal tariff reductions and just market access in general. We can touch on the Israeli-Palestine conflict a little bit. Uh, strong supporter, um, as Jimmy covered, of Israel, in, in, but uh, in recent days has called for that temporary ceasefire in Rafah to the UN Security Council. Uh, Jimmy very clearly illustrated a lot of the tensions that are kind of happening with, Israel, uh, with the Israeli government and with Biden's administration. And then, you know, with Russia as well, another big player in the foreign policy world, Biden's considering currently more sanctions against Russia since the assassination of Navalny. Um, and he continues to support Ukraine. He's continually asking Congress to, for funds to support Ukraine and actually recently linked funds to support Israel also to support Ukraine in presenting that to Congress. Mm -hmm. So definitely a very holistic view of what we're seeing with Biden's um, foreign policy. Thank you for spelling that out so, so clearly in the different areas that it's going to be touching and impacting. It's definitely a lot of areas of contention and of concern and definitely something to be aware of as it develops, seeing as that, you know, he is the incumbent and stands you know, a relatively good chance of, of um, pulling strongly in the race. It's definitely something to, like I said, be aware of. And it's very interesting, I think you noted, both of you have been noting all these contentions with the conflicts going on right now. Um, we're seeing, I think, a big emphasis on past allyship versus present administration, kind of how that can definitely be a really interesting um, relationship. And I wanted to ask you next, Billy, to just kind of build more on what have been the attitudes of voters towards him like as incumbent? How is he polling so far? What might we be expecting um, from him as far as numbers go? He currently is a second in terms of like primaries and such. Mm -hmm. um, he has 91 current delegates before him, 
Trump's pulled ahead with, I believe, 110 current delegates behind him. And so far, I think that, as you've alluded, a lot of the concerns about him are in regards to his actions and if they're effectual. I think that the popular narrative has been like, um, he's, you know, there's the concern over his age, as well as this, these tensions between him and Israel as one of the more timely sort of situations that's happening on a global scale. Yeah, and it's definitely something we've seen throughout the news too with a lot of younger voters who, you know, this would be the first presidential election they're voting in, have definitely been calling it out against Biden administration, especially in regards to, to Israel and Palestine. So definitely something to be interested in as we continue to cover the election and see that develop. So now I want to turn to you, Jimmy, um, to look more at the international level and ask how have international leaders reacted to Biden? Who are we seeing supporting him, against him, kind of shed some light on that? Sure. So there's kind of an interesting dynamic going on with um, with Biden and Putin. Uh, in the past, Biden's thrown a lot of like insults and, and words at Putin, describing the way he runs his country, obviously. Um, but recently, after, right after the Tucker Carlson interview, actually, Putin an interviewer went on to ask Putin who he preferred in the White House, and Putin actually said Biden. His reasoning was more like along the lines of Biden's a, a well-known uh, politician. He's been there. He's been established. He's also very predictable, he said. Uh, a lot of people have been speculating about what the implications of this preference is, especially since it's kind of an almost like an endorsement maybe for Trump, if you think about it that way. Mm -hmm. um, so people also think about the way that Putin talks and how he's somewhat of a manipulative and untrustworthy kind of character. So you never know what to think when Putin's endorsing one character, especially in, in the United States politics. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a very interesting turn of events. I don't think anyone would really have expected the answer to be Biden over Trump, considering you know the, the long-standing history between Trump and Putin is right. very, very intriguing. And so where do you think we'd see the biggest impact internationally if Biden were to be elected? So I think the biggest impact that Biden would have is actually on our allies. Mm -hmm. I think Biden would be able to maintain the status quo in terms of international agreements, upholding our security guarantees to our allied countries. I think NATO would continue to be strong and our allies would not be second guessing their security and safety overall. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, and now I want to turn back to you, Billy, as we kind of move on to the next candidate to talk about, um, which is going to be Donald Trump. So can you give us an update on what's been happening with Trump since he's left office? Obviously, he's still been very prevalent in the news. So you can just kind of catch us up on what's been going. Yeah. So, I mean, currently he's got several criminal charges on things like mishandling documents, election interference, and as well as hush money schemes. And all of those trials are currently ongoing. And in, in total, it hasn't actually affected his success too much as a uh, as a candidate for the presidency in fact uh, he's he's first so far in primaries 110 delegates behind him and yeah it's it's interesting to see that because I believe he'd be one of our first presidents who would have been like convicted of a felony should he take the presidency mm -hmm. again yeah that'd be definitely be a very interesting aspect to this whole election is, you know, how oh, yeah. different states are grappling with that. I know he's been taken off the ballot of certain states, but not others. So definitely a very, very intriguing way that all this is kind of falling into place. So what are Trump's stances on foreign policy, both in his last term in office we can look at and what he's been presenting going forward with his campaign? 
So kind of just as a broad overview of his attitudes towards foreign policy, I think he's a pretty good contrast with Biden. Um, He believes in keeping things sort of within the United States. He's expressed that he believes NATO is obsolete at this uh, current juncture and also has expressed an interest in leaving the UN as it's not focused on American values, more specifically to his policies towards certain entities. Towards North Korea, I'm sure many of us are aware of the tensions that have existed (laughs) online between him and I believe Pyongyang after the threat to launch ballistic missiles into waters around Guam. It's been a concern uh, among uh, Americans who are fearful that his tweets and his interactions on social media could potentially lead to a nuclear attack from North Korea. And there's that famous quote he has where if they should continue with those kinds of ballistic attacks, they'll be met with fire and fury. And yeah. So as for his foreign policies towards China, he's praised Chinese President uh, Xi Jinping on more than one occasion and has proposed that if he was elected, he would impose a 60% increase on tariffs and Chinese imports. He stated that he does not want to start a trade war with China, but this is a tactic and it's a way to revitalize American economy to not rely on those Chinese imports. On the Israeli-Palestine conflict, Trump has said that he would reject refugees from Gaza from entering the United States and has called for ideological screenings on those entering the countries. He's criticized Israeli leadership in the past, but still remains a a staunch supporter of Israel and is critical just in general on Biden's dealings of the hostages uh, abroad. And as for his foreign policy towards Russia, he's criticized Biden's uh, inability to prevent the Russian invasion of Ukraine and also believes that the U.S. is spending too much money on Ukraine and believes that the rest of Europe simply refuses to help. Now, Trump also told the European Commission president, Ursula von der Leyen, you need to understand that if Europe is under attack, we will never come to help you or to support you. I I think I want to shed light as well on just his attitude uh, towards the UN. It's very interesting. He believes that the future does not belong to globalists. He doesn't have um, as much of an interest compared to Biden in that global democracy. He believes the future belongs to patriots. That was said in his remarks to the 74th session of the UN General Assembly. So we're definitely seeing quite a level of contention between his foreign policy, Biden's foreign policy, um, as most likely to be the two big front runners, just as they were um, in 2020 as well. Uh, so definitely something to be keeping an eye on and that we'll continue to, to watch as the election progresses. So now I want to turn to you, Jimmy, and kind of ask the same sort of thing I was asking about when we were talking about Biden, about what are the ad- attitudes from other international leaders regarding Trump as a candidate? Sure. So building over what Billy said, I think that Xi Jinping is betting on Trump maintaining an isolationist view mm-hmm. for the United States. I think he's going to build off of that and kind of bet on the fact that if Trump's in office, our allies are going to be worried. Our allies are going to be worried about the visibility and not being protected. Um, Xi Jinping knows that Trump may not guarantee any kind of security or support for countries like uh, South Korea or Japan, and he might not want to continue doing exercises or or just pledge any kind of like guaranteed support there. So I think he's he knows that he can undermine the security in the South China Sea and kind of continue to have a strategic hold there. I think he's also betting on the 60% tariff backfiring, not only for the United States with trade with China, but it could even impact American citizens. 
So I think that he knows that these kind of implications will really have a, a big time effect, not only on the United States, but on our allies, and it will really undermine the West overall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That would definitely be something that would be prevalent to a leader like Xi Jinping, who I know has had a lot of concerns regarding the West's intervention in the East, um, particularly with the South China Sea um, conflict as well, and, and as well as the contention with Taiwan, too. So I can definitely see why that would be the way he casts his support. Um, so where do you think, just like I asked for Biden, where do you think we'd see the biggest impact internationally if Trump were to be elected? So I think the biggest impact would definitely be felt by our allies, mm-hmm. once again, like, our allies would be less secure in every kind of aspect, economically, militarily, their security. International agreements wouldn't be upheld. Mm-hmm. Um, NATO would feel it the most because Trump has publicly said, you know, he, he doesn't, he feels that it's obsolete at this point. The UN, the UN would be less cohesive as a unit. Yeah, I just, I just think our allies would just feel the, the brunt of the impact from Trump being elected. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We saw that in his last um, term as well when he pulled out of things like the Paris Agreement, um, things that na- of that nature. We definitely see international organizations have a really huge shift with a superpower like the U.S. not being in there anymore. And like Billy was saying, all the statements he made about the U.N. is very interesting considering the U.S. holds a Security Council position as well. Mm-hmm. So right. definitely something to be interested in as we as we move forward. Um, and now moving on to the independent candidate we're going to be looking at, um, Robert Kennedy. I want to turn back to you, Billy, and ask if you give us more information on his campaign as an independent candidate. Uh, sure. So Robert Kennedy so far um, has voiced a lot of interest, and his background is in the environment as well. And in general, like he's kind of um, been able to sort of use his stance as like a member of the independent party because and use this rhetoric to say, hey, you have been failed by both parties, Republican and Democratic. So in a polling recently, it said that 34% of voters could see themselves voting for Robert Kennedy. I think it's interesting him to have him on the scene in this kind of way. Uh, as for like foreign policy in particular, he's not very specific on exactly what his broad view of it is. He's spoken about how he believes China is the U.S. biggest threat and also a little bit on Ukraine. He thinks that the best way to handle the Ukraine conflict is through negotiations, diplomacy, and statecraft, not through giving Ukraine weaponry. So he's been critical of that in current presidency. And in addition, on China, he's said that he wishes to de-escalate conflict between Taiwan and China but he hasn't voiced a specific strategy on it. I'm curious to see moving forward, should he rise to prominence somewhat, if we'll find out a little more about his attitudes towards foreign policy from there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I feel like it's definitely, he's been one of the more um, prevalent independent candidates I think we've seen in a long time. about him, yeah. Yeah, it's very intriguing, you know, given, uh, you know, the deep history of really not having an independent candidate. Right, um, yeah. much sway or much um, significance in the election, I definitely mm-hmm. am with you and, and, and interested in how that's going to develop. Um, and so I also want to ask you, how have voters reacted to Kennedy? Does he stand any significant chance in the race? Well, I mean, I think a lot of people simply aren't aware of what his specific policies are. I don't think it would be useful or conducive to jump the gun and say he stands no chance. Um, There's definitely been talk about a possibility of him splitting the Democratic vote. I think it's also possible he could split the Republican vote. And I think that's something to consider. I don't know if I personally believe that he will have a direct path to candidacy, but I think we 
we shouldn't discount him and say that he won't have any pull whatsoever. I, I definitely think that with the talk that's been surrounding him already, you know, we'll find more people interested in his policies, especially as I think partisanship in America has been, you know, uh, getting stronger and stronger. And there's definitely appeal to a candidate that's like, hey, if you have been abandoned by both parties, consider an independent route. Um, so I think there's that. I'm not quite sure if I would say that he would be able to take the presidency altogether. Yeah, absolutely. There definitely is a lot of significance to just him coming this far oh, and having this much sway, even just as an independent candidate. Um, coming in a very interesting time, I know we said earlier, a lot of young voters, this is the first election they're voting in and aren't particularly fond of you know, Biden or Trump. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely coming at a very interesting time. Um, and then back to you, Jimmy, I wanted to ask again, have any international leaders responded at all to his campaign or treated him as a serious possibility as a leader? Yeah, building off of what Billy said, I just wanted to make a comment about, I just think it's interesting that both political parties are kind of either dismissive to mm -hmm. RFK or trying to smear his name right now. Democrats, as of right now, are, are just trying to dismiss him as, as nothing. Mm -hmm. they're, kind of, they're trying to paint his campaign as basically pointless. You know, he detracted from the Democratic Party. He labeled himself an independent. He feels as though he doesn't represent those views anymore. Whereas the Republican Party kind of is coming off like they're a little bit scared or worried about RFK because in, in my mind, I believe that RFK is actually going to take more votes away from the Republican Party because mm. more Republicans that voted for Trump originally, I feel as though they were looking for someone that was not a lifetime politician or maybe that was someone that wasn't just like part of the administration or or the swamp, as he called it. Mm -hmm. RFK is definitely more moderate, and I can see a lot of people that don't like either of them going that way. And I think the Republican, people that vote Republican right now, especially originally Trump voters, would definitely sway in his direction. So mm -hmm. I think that's why the Republican Party right now is trying to smear him, because they know he's gonna take a lot of votes from them. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. In addition, I think the reason there there's been no kind of like recognition internationally from leaders is because they don't really believe that he has a strong case to win. Mm -hmm. They don't really think he has any kind of chance. And also he doesn't really have any kind of radical or super prevalent foreign policy views. So there's not much for them to build off of as of right now. If they feel as though he's going to become a problem might actually win. Uh, I, I can see leaders coming out and maybe having some public comments about him. But as of right now, Nothing really prevalent from anybody in the international community. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely something to be keeping an eye on as, you know, we continue with, you know, the somewhat of a wild card of an independent candidate candidate and see how far it'll, you know, take him in this election and how that is going to play out. Like you were both saying, there's definitely lots of different realms of possibility that could that could happen with RFK as a candidate. And so I want to stick with you, Jimmy, and just talk a little bit about what our allies are thinking internationally. So I know we've talked about it a little bit, but what where are the allies um, of the U.S. casting their support? What are we seeing as their main concerns? Sure. So their main concerns, our allies want to know that they're going to have their security guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Our allies want to know that NATO is going to continue to be maintained and that our security agreements are going to be maintained. Some examples of how Trump has actually gone against this are Trump has pulled the U.S. out of the Iran nuclear deal. He's weakened NATO through public threats and condemnations, and he's suspended military exercises in allied states such as South Korea and Japan. So I think the allied community just wants to see 
the status quo, and they're going to be rooting for Biden big time. There's also a, a kind of sense of certainty that you're going to get with Biden. I believe that Biden would be a weaker administration, but in terms of what our allied countries like the UK, Japan, South Korea are looking at here, they just want they want to know what's going on. They want to be able to predict what the U.S. is going to do going forward. So I think that's the kind of mindset that um, our allies are going to have going into this election. Yeah, and I know that during Trump's last administration, a big problem for the international community was the unpredictability. You know, is he going to pull out of this agreement? Is he going to pull out of that? Um, so I can definitely see what you're what you're saying. It's as you know, Biden is a more stable, consistent sort of candidate. We've already had four years of his administration, and doesn't look like much is going to be changing if you were to be there in the future. So kind of moving away from our allies specifically and, you know, the leadership specifically, what have been the general views towards just the U.S. looking generally? I know we've talked a lot about how, you know, Netanyahu, for example, has different regards to the U.S. as opposed to like Biden specifically. So kind of what are the general views towards the U.S. as a whole? I think the general views towards the U.S. right now are weakening. Mm -hmm. I think the consensus with not only our, our enemies, but our allies is that the U.S. is starting to seem like it's being stretched thin. I think the U.S. has too many security guarantees that they need to try to uphold right now. And I don't think the Biden administration can actually, d despite the fact that the Biden administration is good with our allies and wants to uphold these security guarantees, there's too many things going on in the world right now. There's too many conflicts to try to uphold these security guarantees. So I think our allies kind of understand this and are looking at the U.S. like someone who can't really protect them, or at least can't guarantee to protect them, at least 100%. So the view of the United States as of right now is a weakening state, whether that's true or not. Mm -hmm. No matter how strong our military is, which it still is the most powerful in the world, biggest budget in the world, no matter how powerful we may look at ourselves, the world is starting to see that we are not the superpower, the one main superpower anymore. Mm -hmm, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen as, you know, like coalitions like BRICS becoming more um, prevalent right, and things like yeah. that. We're definitely seeing a shift, I guess, from, you know, maybe some like the bilateral powers to like a multilateral world where like, yeah. you know, states in the global south are starting to get more influence. You're starting to have these bigger coalitions of global south states um, who are, you know, standing diametrically opposed to the U.S. and kind of the West on a whole. Um, before we wrap up, do, do you have anything else you'd like to add, Billy, um, regarding everything we've been talking about. <laughs> no, I mean, I just, it's going to be a very interesting election year, mm -hmm. a rematch um, likely between Biden and Trump. And it'll be interesting to see how that affects just the global scale of uh, politics. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, this has been a really great discussion. Um, thank you both, Jimmy, uh, Billy, so much for coming mm -hmm. on and joining us. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Joining me now to round out some other headlines this week is our news briefer, Kiki Rolls. Hey, Kiki. Hi, Trish. So what headlines do you have for us this week? Two Americans believed dead after escaped prisoners hijacked yacht in Grenada. Netanyahu unveils a plan for Gaza post-Hamas. Nigeria Customs investigate deadly crowd crush during sale of seized bags of rice. And many flee Myanmar as conscription becomes implemented. So lots of interesting stories to cover today. Let's start with the news in Grenada. Three escaped inmates held in the South St. George Police Station in Grenada escaped on February 18th but were recently recaptured. The Grenadian police have announced that they have reason to believe the three men are responsible for hijacking a yacht and killing two American citizens. U.S. authorities have been working with the local police to further the investigation and the connections of the American citizens. It's a very interesting investigation. We'll be sure to keep an eye on. And the development with Netanyahu? 
Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu recently posed a plan to his security cabinet last Thursday night to prepare for future discussion regarding plans for a post-war Gaza. The plan proposes that Israel will close off Gaza's southern border with Egypt, giving Israel complete control over the territory. Currently, Egypt is in, in control of this border, known as the Rafah Crossing, which has been a major point in the news lately as Israel continues to bomb the area. There has been no indication of Egypt signing off on these plans, though Netanyahu has stated Israel will cooperate, quote, as much as possible, end quote, with Egypt, and that the U.S. will aid in coordination. That's definitely something we'll be watching closely as it develops. Tell me more about the incident in Nigeria. Nigeria has been facing an ongoing crisis of food insecurity, which has led to prices for basic necessities to skyrocket. The Lagos Customs Office has commenced selling bags of rice for significantly discounted prices, which led to a chaotic situation on Saturday where eyewitnesses reported people being trampled to death trying to obtain the rice. The Nigerian officials have neither confirmed nor denied the deaths, but have claimed that they will be investigating the incident. That's quite the tragedy, and hopefully it'll be investigated further. And our last story? Earlier this month, Myanmar government announced that forced conscription would be implemented to fill its military ranks. After the army seized power from the pre-existing government in 2021, many lost faith in the military and joined movements to counter their power. The conscription announcement has triggered mass movement of citizens fleeing Myanmar and immigrating illegally into Thailand, which further increases the instability seen in the country. Thank you so much for coming on, Kiki. Thank you. That is all the time we have left for today. Be sure to follow the Global Current on Instagram and LinkedIn for updates on upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew, executive producer Bobby Kyle, associate producers Kasia Kastraba and Juliana Mori, technical producers Ashley Skadani and Amelia Benzachinsky, and of course your host, Trisha Ballium. The Global Current is brought to you by Seton Hall University. As always, keep the current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, thanks y'all.